Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a great episode with my good friend Travis Wiest out of San Antonio, Texas. Travis came and hunted desert bighorn sheep with me last year in Unit 15D and uh, shot a ram with his bow. And uh, he's actually headed to Arctic Red River uh, here uh, this fall, uh, the same place where I'm going uh, next in 2018 for doll sheep. And I got to know Travis on the sheep hunt, and uh, he invited me down to go turkey hunting. And this is Travis and I driving uh, in in his truck uh, on the Texas highway. And uh, it's a, a, a great episode. Travis is a great guy. His family owns uh, the Natural Bridge Caverns in out of San Antonio, Texas. And if you get a chance at all to uh, go to San Antonio, I highly recommend going by and checking out the caverns. It is the largest uh, cavern or cave in the state of Texas, and it's it's awesome. It's more than 200 feet underground. There's I believe two miles of of cave, unbelievable structures and stalactites and stalagmites, and uh, they've got tour guides that uh, give tours of the cave, and it's it's one of Texas's uh, leading tourist attractions. Go check it out! Can't wait for you guys to um, hear this episode. It's some fun jawboning back and forth between Travis and I, and uh, if you guys. Uh, want to uh, send me an email, you can do so at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can send me questions and comments, anybody you want to hear on the podcast, any, you know, anything that you uh, don't know the answer to, I'll do my best to try and answer it or find the answer for you. I want to thank my sponsors, uh, Go Hunt Insider, uh, kuyu.com, uh, phonescope.com and the optics authority Cody Nelson over at the outdoorsman's at outdoorsman's.com you can check in the show notes uh, to see the promo codes and you can use those promo codes uh, with the sponsors to get uh, discounts on products and I just want to thank them for their support let's get right to this episode with Travis Wiest Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. It is March 24th, which reminds me it's my nephew Jay's birthday. Happy birthday, Jay Pyburn. Uh, I am rolling westbound in the middle of, I guess this would be kind of between South Texas and Middle Texas. What would you call this? <laughs> well, I, I've never heard Middle Texas used before. <laughs> it's like... Well, you hear it's East a, Texas like and West a, Texas. Lord of what's Rings r- movie or something, what's wrong with West, What's wrong with Middle Texas? We are actually near the uh, metropolis of Sabinal, Texas, right now, on Highway 90, headed west. But uh, I would kind of refer to this as Southwest Texas. Okay, so I'm in Southwest Texas. The voice you just heard is Travis Travis Weist, and we have been chasing turkeys the last couple days on travis's family farm family ranch i guess you call it a farm to a rancher it's like a slap in the face and you call a ranch to a farmer it's kind of a i explain how that works well you know i some people might define that differently but if you have a lot of tillable land and you you know grow crops i would call it a farm if you have livestock and very little tillable ground i'd call it a ranch what if you're covered up in pigs what would you call it then a problem (laughs) i have grown fond of these hogs pigs it's definitely a love hate relationship so i love hating them love hating them uh i've never really been around anything quite like this but Tell me what these pigs are all about. Like, are these Eurasian boars, or are they are they crossed between domestics? And what do we got going on here in in Texas? Well, you're uh, you didn't bring a wildlife biologist onto the podcast with you today, so I can't give. you... I brought me a redneck rancher. Yeah, yeah. you you brought a native Texan uh, who grew up. There was no hogs when I was a kid on our place, and uh, we now have an overpopulation of feral hogs and so i i can't tell you what their their breeding is or background is but uh, i can tell you they're very prolific and they're here to stay so when you were a kid 
you're you're kind of around that middle age mark, let's say 40ish mark. Yeah. I'm a little little older than that. But when you were a kid, you're telling me there was no hogs at all, no pigs anywhere? None. No, we never we never saw hogs. Never heard about anybody seeing hogs. At least I mean if there if there were and you know around our place, I never heard about it. And so but I it wasn't it wasn't until gosh, really maybe about the time I was in high school and college that we we started they started showing up on the scene and and then once they showed up boy they really started multiplying and and now we we see them in all the pastures and all across the property and some places more than others and and I mean in just a day and a half of driving around we've seen black ones black and white ones orange ones red ones I mean (laughs) I don't know what (laughs) some of the colors you see I'm like what color is that yeah, that they're they're all sorts of colors, and uh, they uh, I, I was telling you they're very prolific breeders. They have a gestation of three months, three week, three days, more or less, and they'll they reach breeding age pretty young. Uh, I don't even think they have to be a year old before they can breed. And so uh, once a sow's breeding age, she can basically have almost almost three litters a year, just short of that, and uh, you know six, eight, ten piglets each time. And uh, so they they can really populate an area very quickly, and they're they're very voracious eaters. And speaking of what they eat and what they do from a landowner's perspective, like you said, it's a love hate relationship. But what do they actually do to your property? I mean, I know the answer because I've seen it. We've driven by it, but yeah, this trains honking at us. Yeah. The uh, the pigs are pretty destructive, uh, and they will definitely tear up the landscape. They uh, root the ground up in large, large areas, and uh, you know if you have heavy rains, then you can have soil erosion. Uh, they'll tear your fences up um, by pushing up under the fences. Um, they uh, if you have crops, uh, agricultural farmers really uh, they do a lot of damage to fields. And cost lots and lots of money and property damage in terms of crop loss. Um, so they they uh, they can be they're fairly destructive. I I read an article not that long ago in a wildlife magazine here in Texas, and they think a study was done. And I heard some. I'm going to quote a number that I can't be specific on, but I want to say it was like seventy five hundred dollars estimated average damage per landowner in Texas is an annual damage to each landowner. So they cost you know millions per animal per per landowner. Seventy five hundred uh, so like overall. Yeah, okay. the average landowner, you know, private landowner in Texas, has about seventy five hundred dollars worth of damage a year from feral hogs, and uh, so they do a lot of damage. You know, obviously, if you if you own a bunch of farm country and you have expensive crops in the fields, they you're going to be skewing that number towards the higher end. But uh, then somebody like me who doesn't have as much agriculture, but the, in uh, your mind, does uh, do those pigs have any? predators that they have to really worry about i think the coyotes will probably get after the piglets when they're young uh but although they run in such big packs that uh i don't really know how effective the coyotes are getting to them um i'm sure that you know we do have lions that come through mountain lions on our place that every now and then you'll hear about some lions in the area but um i mean there it's not like you know west texas or out in the, the western states where there's a lot of lions so i don't think they have much predation really at all I heard you tell me that something to the effect of uh, the the proper way to manage the pigs would be to kill off seventy five percent of your total herd every year just to keep them in check. Is that did I hear that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's in the seventies. I don't know if it's it's in the low seventies or mid seventies, but that's part of that study that I read an article on. As I said, you you pretty much have to take out seventy plus percent of the of the you know herd annually each year just to maintain the balance of whatever your number is at the moment so if let's say we have you know 300 pigs on our property you know we're going to have to take out 70 percent so 210 of them yeah a little over 200 pigs that's just to maintain the number because those ones are left over basically you know continue to breed and we're going to maintain that 300 number level kind of on an average yeah if we were if we were able to take out that many well you know most property owners even you know the best hunters in the world can't you can't be that effective at hunting them and so we try trapping them and doing other things too and you just can't can't keep up with them i heard you tell stories uh 
you know, you're somewhat not afraid of the pigs, but you definitely have a respect level as far as when you're bow hunting them and in close, like, I mean, they will come after you. And, and what's the drawback? They're going to bite you with the big tusks or what, you know? Yeah, I, you know, <clears throat> my uncle uh, was on my mom's place where she grew up, was uh, driving down through the pasture and he saw a big boar at a stock tank and he said, uh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get him. So he, he grabs a bolt action and gets out of the truck and is going to sl- slip around the backside of the tank, kind of where the spillway is. And the pig's leaving the tank, headed through the spillway. And the pig sees him, and rather than run, the pig just turned straight at him and ran straight at him. And so my uncle fired a hasty shot, missed, and reloads the gun. And then right as the, the hog's coming up the incline of the spillway, uh, he basically gets the, the next round in the chamber and just turns the barrel and points it at the hog at point blank range shoots him right in the head well he was already coming so fast he had so much momentum he just continued right into my uncle's leg and as he went by he tore his tore his leg open with his tusk and uh kind of spun him around and knocked him down well luckily the pig just you know fell over dead right there and uh i'm not really sure what would have continued after that but you don't hear stories like that very often but i mean it definitely can happen and uh you know i mean we we saw a couple of pigs you know yesterday that were well over 200 pounds probably pushing the mid 200s and uh just you know running into one of those and if he decided to you know not play nice i just always like to carry a pistol anyway plus it's just there's just something fun about being a texan and carrying a pistol and it's just it seems to go well yeah i notice a lot of texans i've met they like firearms yes i may be a diehard bow hunter but uh, the guns are never far behind let's talk about the method of take for pigs and from what from what you're telling me there's there's nothing that's illegal as far as anything goes when you're trying to harvest a pig uh, to my knowledge there there is nothing uh no means of take that is illegal there is no season no limit uh, on hogs they're they're a non-native species they're a feral animal that's gone wild and so the, the texas parks and wildlife department does not regulate bag limit or take on them so you can take them by any means possible uh, you know and uh, which as means said, travis gets to have fun all year round that's right so that's the love hate part of the relationship is uh i love hating them because they're a lot of fun to hunt and i can hunt them a lot of different ways but they do do a lot of damage on the property so and we when, do take them a lot of different ways when would you say is the best time the the most opportune time to uh pig hunt in texas in your country you know i think i think you can hog hunt anytime year round and do well and the best time to hunt on an individual property uh is going to depend on that ranch and kind of what they have going on uh on our place it's it's a uh, mostly low fence around our ranch there are some high fences that that adjoin us uh that will kind of impede their movements and so the uh the pigs pretty much go where they want to and uh during the deer season, which kind of starts for October and us and goes all the way into January, uh, everybody around us is running uh, feeders, uh, corn feeders, and uh, baiting in deer and pigs. And, and the pigs get really smart. They, they pretty much go completely nocturnal after just uh, seems like a few weeks or a month of, of the deer season because anybody that sees a pig shoots at it. And uh, the pigs pretty much just only come out at night at that point, and you really don't see them during the daytime at all. So the pig hunting at our place gets really tough, and they just get wise. And then... After deer season's over in January, uh, a lot of people quit feeding or baiting, and we continue to have a few feeders that will run for for pig hunting, and and nobody's shooting at them, and nobody's messing with them, so they get real, they get a little, little bit relaxed and uh, let their guard they down. They let their guard down, and they start showing up during daylight hours again, and and so for us, man, the spring and the early summer seems to be just awesome time for us to pig hunt. So, and can't really say about other places too, but I guess depending on what was going on in each place, it could be a little different. Well. What's the day in the life of a pig? <laughs> I, I guess uh, eat, sleep, and make babies. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good life. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of eat, what do they eat? What's their primary diet? You know, uh, I think they eat a lot of uh, forbs and uh, mast, any kind of mast product that's out, you know, brown if it's prickly pear or pecans or acorns if they're falling and um, they eat a lot of roots and bulbs and, and grubs and stuff. They'll root around on the ground and dig that kind of stuff up. 
and uh, they're uh, they're they're pretty hardy animals. They seem like it's a pretty amazing that they can do as well as they can. I guess, I, but they uh, they sure like corn too. They do like corn, don't they? That's their Achilles heel. I guess uh, corn's what high in super high in protein? No, opposite. It's high in carbs and fat. Oh, high in yeah. carbs and fat. Okay. Low in protein. Okay, so in other words, it's just like sugar to kind of like candy, yeah. Yeah. I I noticed a few of the pigs. We've come just driving around, and there's feeders on the property, and we've seen some pigs. And uh, the first morning we were set up, uh, we actually the night before had a bunch of turkeys roosted, and we had all kinds of turkey action in front of our face. And when we were setting up the decoys in the dark, remember when we got set up in the blind and just got set down, we, uh, you were messing with the camera and getting the cameras all turned on and what have you, and a, and a big black pig had walked into our decoy spread about 10 yards away from the blind, and yeah, man, that snort that that thing <laughs> let out got my attention real yeah. quick. He, uh, I, I think he actually saw the light when I, when I turned the camera on, and I think that's what spooked him, because he had walked into the decoy spread, he was probably 8 yards away yeah. in front of us, and neither one of us were looking it was pretty dark at that point and uh man as soon as i turned that camera on that light came on that screen and he saw that i mean he let out a noise and said he wasn't happy and took off and both of us i think jumped out of our seat but what's weight wise personally what's the biggest hog that you've um shot i don't know i don't know what they weighed uh because we, we couldn't weigh if them. you had to guess I, if i had to guess and they were between 200 and 300 pounds i'm guessing probably the mid 200s 250 ish in it ha, i mean can they get double oh, that i oh, mean can yeah, they, they get, can get I, I you see these pictures on you know the internet of these ginormous pigs and i they must live in different country than what we have around here and i, I mean must more live in, food or something where there's agriculture you know yeah. they can eat crops and stuff like that and and stuff but i mean i've seen photos and you know like i don't even know i mean 600 plus pound you know giant pigs and but, I mean, I, I've never seen one. I've hunted in South Texas and Central Texas and all around, you know, most of my life. And, I mean, the, you hear people talk about, oh, there's a 300-pound hog. I mean, I don't know that I've ever even seen one that's 300 pounds. Um, see some giant ones. And, I mean, the, uh, I, think the, I think the biggest one we ever got to put on a scale was at a ranch in South Texas. And uh, I want to say it was in that 250 range also. And so I just, I think a lot on the, like, you know, natural conditions and kind of where they're having to really you know work for their food i don't think they get a whole lot bigger than that uh in, yeah. in most cases as a bow hunter um where do you shoot the pig and talk a little bit about your broadhead and and shot placement and such sure um in, uh, in your opinion i mean i think as far as broadheads uh you know you want to get if you're, if you're there's pigs and then there's big boars so, you know, a lot of them are going to range, a lot of the pigs that we shoot are going to range from, you know, 20 to 100 and just over 100-something pounds. And you, you can pretty much get away with just about any, anything in terms of broadheads, and the penetration is not near as big of an issue. But you start shooting those really big ones, and they're pretty tough animals. They've got a really tough hide. They've got kind of a, like a shoulder plate that uh, gives them a lot of protection, I guess, in the way they fight, and they kind of root and, you know, rip it against each other's shoulders when they're fighting. And those big boars are they're tough, and so uh, I think you just want to shoot something you'll get good penetration with. Um, if you got a really high kinetic energy setup, I think you could, you know, probably be more lenient on your broadhead selection. But if you didn't, I think you'd probably need to choose something accordingly that would help you gain the penetration you need. And then uh, as far as shot placement, uh, the hogs carry their their vitals uh, low and a little forward, and so uh, definitely want to stay in the lower third and. Uh, Try not to get too high, especially on the big boars, uh, because they have a big shoulder hump and kind of a humped back. And you kind of shoot them in the middle, you know, the middle of the body, and you think would be kind of a great shot. And you're you're really too high. You're kind of at the very top of the vitals, and uh, you really need to keep it in the lower third. Prefer up courting away shot uh, on a pig, big pig, and just to try to get in behind that shoulder plate and get up in the vitals. You love spotting, stocking them with your bow, and. Um that's kind of your favorite, isn't it? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a fun way to hunt them for sure. If you can catch them out in some open areas and, and, and stalk them, uh, 
that's definitely the most exciting way to hunt them for sure. But uh, hunting them over, you know, over feeders from tree stands or from uh, ground blinds is, is a ton of fun too and uh, can be very productive. And so uh, there's not really any way I don't like hunting pig. See, I've always thought that pigs were just dumb and stupid and like, you know, what's to this pig hunting? But I'll tell you, from hiking around and walking around, and uh, man, they're wary suckers. And I mean, you want to talk about they hear or see or smell. You know, they don't have a very good sense of sight, but hear, hearing, and for sure smelling—that's their key to Boy, staying alive. They will take. And I off. mean, they take off running. Yep. yep. It's there's no yeah. We had a couple of stalks uh, yesterday and the day before, and. And we got winded. Yeah. And, I mean, the wind was, and we're kind of in a canyon area with some hills and stuff, and wind was real swirly. And, man, they don't put up with it. They catch a whiff, they're gone. I I noticed that first morning when we had, I mean, turkeys flying over the top of us. We had, you know, seven or eight big strutters out in front of us. And then that group of pigs, as much as you were enjoying the turkeys, I saw the the twinkle in your eye when i go there's pigs coming you just wear and it was like i had flipped a switch and it was almost like a little you, you almost grew little horns on the top of your head like a like uh yes. you know yeah Is it, <laughs> a little bit of a devil in yeah, you. yeah there was there was definitely uh there was definitely two different guys in the hunting blind there was there was there was jay scott over there who's uh drooling over the turkey action that's going on and <laughs> there's me which is really enjoying the turkey action which was kind of a new thing for me uh to that degree and but then when i saw the pigs like my heart skipped a beat and it's just i think this is an innate instinct that says must kill them all <laughs> and them uh, all so it, it took a lot of restraint i'll tell you to uh keep my bow sitting on the ground but i, I i'll have to admit i i've never seen what we saw yesterday morning turkey hunting uh and uh, I've done quite a bit of turkey hunting, but not like you, of course. And that was pretty amazing. It was super special. Um, the night before, you had kind of identified a couple of areas uh, on the ranch where, uh, you know, the turkeys typically, you know, roosted. And you pretty much called it that night, you know, definitely the two main areas where you said they roost. We had birds firing and we had elected to go after what we thought was the biggest group that we had seen cross that that creek and kind of a you know they were gobbling and went to the roost and so we got in there um early the next morning in the dark and did the full-blown setup you know one of the things uh that's really cool about your operation is you've got one of those electric rangers um and you can be pretty stealthy in that thing. I was impressed where I'm used to my Ranger, you know, it's pretty loud and n- not that I, I, I don't know that it would make a huge difference, but you can slide up on, you know, we, we drove, you know, probably 300 yards, 400 yards from the roost area. Maybe, yeah, you know, maybe 400 yards. That thing's pretty awesome. And we packed the blind in, packed that Zenic blind and, and a full spread of Dave Smith decoys. And as we were setting up the blind you could hear the hens, and then they started gobbling. They basically woke up when we were setting up, but we had enough cover uh, that I don't think they, obviously, they didn't see us. But, I mean, they were all around us. Yeah, they were. And then that hog came into our decoy spread and made a bunch of racket, and that got them all gobbling. And I think maybe they, what noise they did hear, maybe they associated with the pig. Yeah, I actually think that pig's, you know, squealing and snorting and running off any any association that they had that maybe we were there and setting up the blind maybe they dismissed it for you know that that pig yeah and and these turkeys probably are used to pigs carrying on plenty of racket around them and underneath them so i i gotta back up a little bit um you and i met you had drawn a arizona 15d desert bighorn sheep tag and you hired me to take you on your hunt, and you told me you wanted to do it archery. You weren't even bringing a rifle, and you, uh, you know, you were adamant that you wanted an old ram, and uh, you, you know, you wanted to spot and stalk, and uh, you got a, a nice ram that was a ten-year-old ram, yep. old sucker, and I was telling you about 15D, how good it used to be. Uh, before the pneumonia 
But we still saw a bunch of sheep, a bunch of rams. We did. And, of course, it was my first experience sheep hunting, <clears throat> and it was amazing. Uh, so it was an unbelievable experience and very thankful for that and uh, very blessed to get that opportunity to do that. And uh, I just can't say enough about it. I, the only regret I have from the experience is <laughs> that I can't go do it again or maybe that, you know, I couldn't have my cake and eat it too. Maybe we could hunt for about ten more days before I shot one. But yeah. I, I, <laughs> Jay uh, – it was it was a running the running joke uh, each day as we continued to hunt. I think I shot him on day four of the hunt. Yeah, we were there one day before that for scouting, and and uh, every day we'd see a ram, and every day I would say I want to shoot that ram, and every day Jay would say, uh, "Give me your arrows. You're not allowed to go." Yeah, and, I had uh, him on a kind of a quarantine. Yeah, he pretty much had me on lockdown because he knew I'm bloodthirsty, and uh, I pretty much wanted to shoot every ram I saw. So I try I practiced restraint as long as I could. And, I think Jay finally had to take take the gloves off me. <laughs> I I see your training grounds uh, there at the ranch. Um, you know, Texas is relatively flat compared to uh, you know the mountains of Arizona. But uh, you were able to find places where you could shoot. You know, get your angles and work on that. How how much as a bow hunter? Um, I mean, you're really into bow hunting how critical was that to be able to practice at angles and what did you learn from that it was huge Uh, i have not shot extreme angles um a ton and i say i say that i mean i've i've done a lot of uh, tree tree stand hunting in texas and in the midwest and and i've shot some deer dang near straight underneath me but when they're you know what amounts to 10 yards below you uh or you know eight yards below you it, it the margin of error is a lot bigger um, when they're standing down there, you know, 40, 50 yards away and you're having to shoot that same steep angle. And man, it was really tough. I, I, uh, you know, started checking in on the range finders and making sure and kind of checking the range finder would give me a, a number that my bow would, would shoot to and, and, uh, started practicing. And I was amazed how hard it was, uh, to, to shoot well at the really steep angles. And so I was really glad I found some bluffs on the ranch that I could, I could practice. I set targets up and I shot a lot. I lost a lot of arrows. I'll tell you. Be honest with you. Probably burned about a hundred bucks in arrows practicing. Mm. Um, but uh, I think it was huge. It gave me a ton of confidence. And and uh, I'll, I'll never forget the first couple of days I was doing it. I was I, my my side muscles, my abs were so sore on the sides from from trying to hunch over sideways and kind of hold and control myself. That uh, but after after just doing it for a few days in a row and it, that that kind of went away. And then I got steadier as I did it. And you know. So I was really glad I was able to practice it. But I think, I mean, you know, bow hunting is, to me, I mean, I think if you really want to be proficient at it, you have to shoot a lot and you need to practice and, and just have that extreme confidence that going into it that you can, you can get it done uh, when you get your chance. Speaking of chances, I'm glad I brought a dozen more arrows right before <laughs> I left town. <laughs> Because I've found out I have shot one turkey with my bow and arrow, and I took one shot and one kill, and that was it. And Travis, when he invited me to come out here, he said, you know, if you if you come out, he said, I, I, I'd like you to come out, but you got to bring your bow. We're going to bow hunt these turkeys. I want to, you know, decoy them. And so I talked you into getting some Dave Smith decoys. We got the full strutter with the real tail fan, the Dave Smith Jake decoy. Uh, you basically bought the whole flock. You got the upright hen, the feeding hen, and then the yes. submissive hen that yes. you know kind of sits on the ground and, with and, a flat belly. And every one of them has now been molested. Yeah, we've seen some X-rated stuff over the last uh, couple of days. Um, and, and I've got a lot of friends that bow hunt turkeys, and and I feel their pain now because uh, I shot at two birds yesterday that were in full strut. And, you know, you basically come away with feathers. <laughs> then I decided that I was going to go for headshot only. And that, I mean, and we're not talking like, you know, I'd like to say, yeah, it was super windy and we were shooting at like 50 yards. We were like, <laughs> what, maxed out at 11 paces? Yeah, I think the first one might have been 12. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you that. But, so eight, 8 to 12 probably. But it, it's crazy when you're trying to head shoot them. 
Man, that head's bobbing around, moving around. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wasn't going to argue with you when you said you wanted to head sh- try for headshots. I'm like, well, <laughs> Jay's the turkey hunting expert here, but you know, that's, the, that's a really small target. <laughs> yes, you, you have it, that Jay. We're going to have to. We're we're, uh, we're moving locations here. Actually, we've uh, terrorized plenty of turkeys on your property. We're actually headed over and go hunt a, another property here. We got a little bit of a drive, but. Um, it's just so fun, those birds, you know, with that interaction and getting to see them strut and gobble and and uh, get up on the decoys. I mean, yesterday we had them in two different circumstances. You know, right off the roost, we had those birds that were on the submissive Dave Smith decoy, you know, literally mounting and trying to mate that. We had them, you know, wing flapping the jake. And um, even in the afternoon, we had the those two birds one which you ended up shooting um making a perfect shot i might add thank you and uh died in sight that was pretty awesome uh standing on top of the jake decoy (laughs) and the other one was standing on top of the the uh, submissive hen and one of them was balancing up on the jake it was pretty awesome yeah i so to to give folks a little background about why you're here doing this so you know getting to know Jay on the sheep hunt and I, I come to find out his real love is not sheep and it's turkeys. And he's showing <laughs> me these pictures and video and like, he's got lots of sheep and, you know, pictures on his phone too. But then, you know, I think there was more Turkey stuff and I'm like, turkeys, what in the heck? And, Oh man, I love Turkey hunting and, and this and that. And then he, I'm talking, well, I've, I've shot, you know, half a dozen more birds with my bow, Turkey hunting. Yeah. Spring Turkey hunting is a lot of fun. And I, I really enjoy it too. But then I'm seeing the, I'm seeing these videos of what you got going on with these decoys, and I'm like, what? I've never seen stuff like this. He's like, oh, you got to get these Dave Smith decoys. I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm in. I'll try that. And so I was like, Jay, why don't you come out and show me how this works? And I saw stuff I have never seen, and <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, the interactions and like for two hours they're putting on a show in front of us and yeah. just beating the decoys, riding the decoys. A couple times we yeah. had to use a rag to clean the decoys yeah. off. What's <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was stuff going on that was definitely uh, not for ch- children to watch. I mean, I, I, you were running out of arrows. My decoys are getting beat to crap. I mean, D- dude, there were times when you and I were in the blind, laughing so hard. I was shocked that the turkeys weren't looking at us because of what they were doing. It was so funny to watch them do their thing. Oh, it, it was awesome. So I, I, I have a new uh, new love for turkey hunting now. Uh, because that just adds a whole sense to the experience in terms of the interaction that I've never seen before to that extent. I mean, I've, I've, hunted, I've shot a, a bird or two with a decoy, I think, maybe one. I know for sure. And uh, I've had, you know, some other folks uh, that I've helped kill birds with decoys. But we've always, the birds just kind of have come in and they're there and then we shoot them and maybe we didn't give enough time, but I don't, they just wouldn't interact with our decoys. Right. And these, I, yeah. it's, I mean... I think it's how realistic they look. It must be. But it's awesome, whatever it is. I, I know you've got um, a hunt coming up this fall that you're really looking forward to. And we kind of have that in common as well. Um, going to Arctic Red River. Yeah. You're doing a combo hunt, I believe. You're yeah. going to be, what, a 20, 21-day hunt? Well, it's booked, as a, it's booked as a 16-day hunt, but uh, because... Uh, when I when I booked that hunt, the only sheep hunt he had left that I could book this was two years ago was was a combo hunt. It was a three species combo hunt, which I I would love to kill uh, not only a sheep but a moose and a caribou. Um, and uh, but I told him I was de- dedicated to the bow, and and uh, he said, well, if you'll you know come at the end of my towards the end of my season, I think it'll be better for you because the moose rut will be going on, and then uh, he's going to allow us to stay on extra days and you know pay a small fee to continue to hunt to give ourselves more time so that we can get it done with a bow. And so um, I think I've got it worked out with uh, work and family where I can do 20 days of hunting. Uh, so it would be plus travel. So it's going to be almost a month. It's going to be crazy. I've never, I don't think I've ever been away from home for more than 12. Now, will you take days. a rifle at all or will you only take your bow? Just my bow. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could take a pistol. Just so I could have something for grizzly bears. Yeah. Well, all you, you got to be able to do is outrun your guide. So yeah, 
That could be a challenge, though. Sometimes some of these guides are. I was going to say, from what I hear about their guides, they sound like they're the Navy SEALs of hunting guides. So, like, I, me out running the guide is probably, yeah, snowball's chance in hell. Yeah. How much of the hunt and looking forward to the hunt, I know you're a gear junkie, too. How much of it is, you know, kind of the excitement and, and just kind of, you know, getting yeah. to go through your gear and, and the whole anticipation of, That's, you know, what to use and yes, when to use it absolutely it's part of the whole experience of not just this hunt but every hunt and for me and i mean even even before you were coming down here i mean i was in my garage tinkering with my stuff and just you know my wife's like a kid with a toy or something yeah. you know and she just uh laughs at me but uh yeah that's so much just thinking about the experience and prepping for the experience training for a hunt you know and getting your gear right and sorted it's just all part of the anticipation and excitement i think that just goes into the experience and to me makes it a ton of fun so yeah i love i love that part of it well i'm looking forward to going in uh 2018 in july for doll sheep uh and i'm just going doll sheep hunting and i'm be excited to see uh your success this fall and uh, another friend of mine brian Rimsus, going for doll sheep and mountain caribou uh, with with uh, another friend of ours, and I've had several of my my buddies and 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 guys that have hunted with me that have gone to Arctic Red, and all of them have just said it's an adventure, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to that adventure and uh, getting up there. Uh, I've never been to the Northwest Territories, so it's just the whole aspect of it, regardless of you know whatever sheep I harvest uh it's gonna be awesome yeah it's it's gonna be an adventure i i think that's the biggest thing that that i'm most excited about is just the overall experience of the adventure and i was telling you i think you were kind of surprised i mean i've I've done done a lot of western big game hunting and hunted all over the place but i have never been backpacking ever and here i am going on you know what could end up being 20 days of backpacking in northwest territories and so i'm a little nervous about that i'm 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 training really hard for it and feel like I'm going to be physically ready, but uh, I know there's going to be a huge mental side to that whole game uh, that's going to be, I think, even way, way more difficult than the physical side in terms of just the, you know, mental toughness about the whole thing. And so I think I'm up for it, but I'm, and I'm really, really looking forward to finding out. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I mean, it's it's one of those things that uh, anything that you do that's, that's new or different, um, you know, and, and certainly backpacking for, you know, 20 plus days is going to be, regardless if you didn't, uh, that's a pretty little river down there. Uh, regardless of if you don't harvest a single animal, it'll probably be one of the greatest trips of your life. I mean, obviously Absolutely. you're going to get your trophies, but. Uh, no, God willing. Yeah, just just the the adventure of it. Absolutely. Is. is huge for me i'm i'm excited i've got that darn i have that goat hunt um in alaska uh coming up this uh summer and um so we're we're fired up i'm gonna be kind of diving into my gear and my gear prep and and uh, i've already been you know training for that and so that'll be a lot of fun i i got a real awesome experience yesterday i got to tour uh the the cave and your family has on, on your property the largest cave in Texas. Yes, that's right. And I just want you to kind of tell me all about uh, the the origin of how the cave was founded and sure. a little bit of the background and the story because it was absolutely breathtaking. Thank you. Well, we're very blessed to to uh, be here and get to do what we do and. The, uh, so the land, I was telling you, has been in our family for five generations. My great-great-grandfather settled here in 1883. His uh, name, last name was Forsagi. And he, uh, we actually saw his homestead on the ranch. We uh, actually stalked a pig not very far from it. And the uh, we first came, settled next door, and uh, I think it was uh, very end of 1800s, early 1900s, and uh, he married one of Forsagi's daughter, daughters, and so that's how the Weiss name came to be involved there at the property. And so the family just uh, was basically farming and ranching um, for all those years, raised mostly cattle and goats. And the uh, the cave that you're talking about, um, 
is called Natural Bridge Caverns, and the there's a big pit or a sinkhole on the ranch, and there's a big limestone rock bridge that covers the part of the pit where this 60-foot span of rock was kind of left behind when the this pit collapsed and kind of this cave room that was close to the surface, you know, kind of opened up uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. So that was just a, you know, cool, scenic place on the property. Uh, you know, the, the family knew there was a cave there, uh, and as far as back as early 1900s, uh, we think cave explorers had, had gone and actually explored the cave and checked it out. It was always thought to be pretty small, and uh, but it wasn't then until these four amateur cavers, they were college students from St. Mary's University in San Antonio, which is pretty close to us, uh, came out. They'd heard about the, the, the natural bridge and the cave there, and they were just weekend warrior cavers. Like, you and I like to hunt. They like to go caving. And uh, they heard about it, so came in, knocked on my grandmother's door, and uh, said, hey, we, we heard about your cave. We'd love to check it out. And she said, okay, sure. And back then, and you know, people, property owners and stuff looked at people recreating, hunting, and fishing, and caving on their property very differently than they do now. It uh, was pretty common for folks just to get permission to, to recreate on, on your land. And so uh, she just told them to be safe, let her know when they were coming and going on the property. And I think my dad showed them how to get back there. And they came out and started doing a, a series of caving trips. And uh, on their third trip out, they actually... Uh, had kind of explored most of what we think had been seen prior uh, to them coming, and they found a, a, a crawl space that was like a lead that, in a place that they hadn't checked out. And they said, "Well, when we come back on our fourth trip, we'll check that out." And so, uh, on March twenty seventh, nineteen sixty, uh, they were checking out that crawl space, and it uh, and wiggled through uh, after some digging about eleven inch crawl space, and uh, wormed their way down about sixty feet, and it opened up into a big room that just led to room after room after room, uh, what turned out to be the largest cave in the state of Texas, and they found over two miles of cave, uh, what led to two miles of cave on that day. And so, the uh, like you saw yesterday, I mean, you know, the biggest room is bigger than a football field in size and, you know, 100-foot ceiling height, and for some of the formations are gigantic, and there's small lakes and pools and streams in the cave, and so it's, it's just beautiful. But that's kind of how they found it, and... You know, the story of how it was opened as an attraction, you know, came later and uh, family uh, opened it up. Now we offer public tours through the cave and that's, uh, we still farm and ranch. Uh, we still raise cattle and, but uh, we, uh, we do a lot more cave tours now than we do cattle. Yeah, I mean, located right out of San Antonio, um, obviously you've got the Alamo in San Antonio, uh, but, but uh, natural cavern, natural what's the exact name natural bridge caverns natural bridge caverns is a huge tourist attraction uh just outside of san antonio i was really surprised actually how quick you can get from the ranch and the the cave property right to san antonio i mean it's right there yeah we're we're only about 30 minutes from downtown san antonio no traffic so it's it's really close we're just outside of town and kind of on the outskirts of of the city there and um, kind of developments kind of growing and encroaching on us year by year but yeah we're, we're in a good spot centrally located in texas the texas big state there's a lot of, a lot of people live in san antonio and you know austin's not very far away dallas fort worth houston uh, all within driving distance so a lot of families are able to come out and, and visit and that's our primary you know business is the families recreating and vacationing and coming to see the cave and do the other attractions we have as well yeah i mean uh I like the family fun type of atmosphere that you had there. I mean, you had uh, obviously the cave and the tours, but you had a lot of other attractions there as well with the zip lines and and um, y- you know there was uh, mi- what was it mineral panning? My, yeah, mining, yeah, mining, like gym pan mining. Yeah, um, yeah, really neat. And I could see a lot of the families and the kids, the smiles on their faces. It was neat to see. Uh, you know, just that interaction uh, that, you know, they felt that connection there. It's just, it's a neat place. Thank you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really, I mean, our family's mission in terms of kind of what we do at the attraction is, you know, we're, we're about helping families reconnect with each other and reconnect with nature, you know, through natural outdoor experiences. And so that's kind of what we, you know, like to think of as our mission, if you will. And, uh, you know, really and truly at the end of the day we, we just we love it when we see families out there having fun doing stuff together just enjoying nature and having a great time so 
you know when you have something on your brain and you just it's right there and you're like this is going to be great and then you forget completely what it was I know that feeling you, you were probably wishing you had more arrows is that what it was I was hoping that we could find a Walmart to at least buy as many cheap arrows as I could find because, you know, every shot at, you know, 15 bucks an arrow is uh, a little hard to take. I saw you eyeballing my kids' arrows in the garage before we left. and The pink flu-flu arrows? Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, ammo's ammo. Good thing I got the power of editing on this. <laughs> is this is this normal right off the road here? Is I mean to be high fenced from a highway protection standpoint, or is this actually a ranch that's a high fence? I mean, is this Department of no, of Highway? That's, that's just a private property owner who's chose to put up a high fence to uh, okay. manage their wildlife, you know, differently, and. Uh, my my guess is the vast majority of folks do it because they want to manage for older age class. Yeah, and uh, some some want to put exotics on their property to have other species uh, as well. But I think a lot the most popular use is just simply to try to manage for older age class because you know what ninety seven eight percent of the state is private property, yeah. and so uh, you know you have a small tract and you have deer and they want to try to grow older deer but then uh, the neighbors don't they'll shoot shoot younger deer and so uh it's hard to grow older deer if you they're getting shot when they're young yeah i know i remember now what i was going to ask you about the total archery challenge oh yeah um travis at the family ranch uh right there uh at the natural bridge caverns uh you guys have hosted the uh, total archery challenge, right? That's right. Yeah, that's a that's a. Tell me about that. That's been a really really neat event. We uh, we, we we met Sean DeGray uh, and Tyrell Gray through a mutual friend that's from the San Antonio area, and uh, they were looking for a site um, in the south to host their event, which is the total archery challenge. And uh, after talking to him and Brad and I being my brother and I being such diehard bow hunters, we said, "Oh, we'd love to have this at our place." and and so uh, they've come down, and, and they host this. They host this event around the U.S. in different locations, and I think we're their only Texas venue right now. And I think this will be the fourth season they've had it in Texas at our place. And so it's coming up the first uh, weekend in May. It'll be that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and it's an awesome event. We've we've they set up there at the you know attraction area at the cave, kind of in the back, and they set up a big practice range, and they have pop-up 3d targets and kids courses and kids targets and there'll be a bunch of vendors there and and then we let them set up uh basically looped hiking trails across the ranch and they set up 3d target courses on those trails and and then people just hike across the property you know shooting the targets and uh you know it's been really really fun so it's very challenging shoot and uh and you guys also actually go out to um snowbird out to utah for the archery challenge yeah we did yeah before before we agreed to let them come to our place we they were producing that event there at uh, snowbird i think that was kind of the the first one and uh we went and shot it and got to meet meet them and kind of see how they ran their show and decided they 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 really knew what they were doing before we let them come to our place but um yeah that talk about the most challenging 3d shoot i think i've ever been to uh is, is shooting there at Snowbird. It's awesome. Uh, great practice for Western big game hunting is to go and, and shoot those shoots. Uh, I can't think, I think I told you the other day, I think it's about the most fun you can have with your bow when you're not hunting. And uh, I don't think there's anything you could do to better prepare yourself for, for big game hunting than to shoot uh, courses like that. So anybody listening, um, I assume they go to the Totally art. Total Archery Challenge yeah, website. Just Google Total Archery Challenge, and then you'll find uh, on there all the places they host their their shoots at, and they have them. Uh, they have them around the country. Like I said, I couldn't even begin to tell you all the locations. I know that they have, uh, you know, Utah, Montana. I think they have one in Pennsylvania. I know they have, you know, ours, and I think they have a couple other ones in, in between their other states. Cool. Well, I'm glad you guys do that, and it's a uh, it's a good thing to be able to um, connect with all other bow hunters. And I encourage people to listen, come out, check out the cave too while you're there. That's a great opportunity. 
um, you know, and bring the family because there's there's a lot of things to do right there. Yeah, that's and that that event's cool because it's a really family oriented event, and so the uh, again, it's just kind of another way for us to let families reconnect with nature and do something that we love doing is too, and and so uh, but it seems like it's been a really good fit. We've enjoyed having those guys out. Well, I guess the next time uh, the listeners hear from us, hopefully we'll be covered in more turkey feathers. I hope so. Well, we're uh, still about an hour away from our next location here in, near Brackettville, Texas, and we'll be uh, hopefully on some birds. The weather's cleared up for us. It was cloudy this morning, but it's going to be beautiful. Hopefully, hopefully a bird will stand still long enough for me to hit one. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> That's going to have to be pretty still, right? <laughs> He's going to have to be still and... <laughs> And, uh, Still and docile. Yep. yep. <laughs> Jay packed, I think, uh, what ten extra arrows in the blind yesterday just to be safe. It's it's a target rich environment, especially when you might have a pig wandering by. Yep, exactly. You know, I was I thought it was pretty curious that uh, you know we start out this podcast, and I'm assuming you're going to be talking about turkey hunting because that's what you came here to do. And like for the first, I don't know how long, twenty minutes, we're talking about pigs. I think I've got a new animal that's on my radar because uh, I've never really paid attention to them, and I've always thought, ah, pig hunting, they're just stupid. Man, the ones I've seen, they're, I'd say they're more wary than a deer. That, they're, they're plenty wary, I'll tell you that. And I mean, like I told you, just to shoot one of those big boars, is, they're, they're solitary, and uh, they're tough animals, too. And there's just something about them, too. You see them, I don't know what it is. You see them, and you instantly just want to shoot them. <laughs> they're, they're, and that's coming from someone that hasn't even got into it yet. And I, I'm already <laughs> getting a little bloodthirsty. Yeah, but it, there's something to be said about just experiencing new places and new things too. And I think that's a that's always fun. So for sure. Well, I guess this story will be uh, continued here. So uh, we're almost to our destination, and uh, we'll get back with you guys. I want to thank you, uh, Travis, if uh, we don't get back on the podcast for having me out and uh, had a great sheep hunt with you and and, uh, look forward to hearing how your experience goes up there at Arctic Red this year. Absolutely, Jay. Glad to do it. It's been great getting to know you too. And and, uh, man, had an awesome experience in Arizona and uh, my first first time to hunt Arizona this past year and uh, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed getting to know you and appreciate the Know, what Arizona's doing out there and all the big game hunting they have going on. Look forward to hopefully taking part in some of it again down the road. So, All right, buddy. Sounds good.